Hello, this is AJ Bingham, Bingham Group CEO and founder. I'm here today with one of our newest BG advisors, and I'm going to let her introduce herself right now. Hi, I'm Cristian Caballero. Um, although I know a lot of people have a difficult time uh, understanding and pronouncing that, so <laughs> I give people a free pass and they can just say Christian. Um, I'm a longtime community activist and organizer, and as of right now, a consultant and, of course, advisor to the BG uh, group. Um, so I'm here to discuss not only uh, my experience uh, with community engagement and organizing, but also how it relates to policy and um, any other development that's going on in the city. Great. Well, uh, yeah, let's, let's get into that. Just there have been some recent... Um you know, recent issues that have come up in Austin and as relates relate to the community, particularly minority communities. And, you know, I'd like to, by way of, uh, you know, layering your background on some of those topics and just getting your, your, your take on it and how your approach would have been and just who, you know, how companies as these issues may arise in the future, as they, you know, unfortunately likely will, um, how they can best approach to, to repair, um, you know, intentional or intentional um, damage to their their, co- their corporate reputation, mm-hmm. right? Um, so the first one I want to get into is um, it's really recent. It's the issue at the domain north side, and yeah. if you could just give a little background on that. Yeah. So generally, what happened is uh, apparently the north side um, had released a flyer or some sort of brochure that was catering to demographic uh, that they see as their primary customer or client. Um, And so they painted an image of this upper class female um, within the mid range of 30 to 60 years old, uh, whose economic status is obviously high Mm -hmm. um, and who uh, does a lot of shopping and who, well, honestly, I feel like really the bottom line was there's a lot of details, but what, really painted the picture was just the high economic status and then also highlighting race. Yes. And it was, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was Anglo, white, um, Asian, Asian, Jewish, mm-hmm, Jewish. Yes. yes. As a typical shopper. Yeah. Yeah. And just to, just to, for those who don't live in Austin, the domain Northside is a section of a shopping center, not really, not affiliated with the domain, even though they share a name, mm-hmm. but it's in North uh, Austin. Um, considered a, a growing uh, uptown, if you will, uptown, mm-hmm. downtown for our city. Yes, exactly. And uh, the difference between the two was emphasized by uh, the owners of the domain, the South Side, um, because they didn't want to be affiliated to this brochure. Yeah, they were, flyer. Quick, they were quick to put that out there. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, because, of course, immediately once that flyer was distributed, um, there was a lot of social media uh, backlash. And so the public was very quick to um, distribute that and to share it through social media. And uh, through that criticism, um, the South Side domain was very quick to defend themselves and disassociate themselves from the North Side. And eventually the North Side, who actually was responsible for this flyer and this brochure, were quick to give a formal apology to the public um, and also vow that they were going to um, enforce their employees to go through some sort of diversity uh, training, mm-hmm. um, which is very similar to what uh, Starbucks did. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, they were quick to do a formal apology and say that they're going to have their employees go through diversity training. And all that is good and well in theory, but it's interesting how 
I feel that management and executive level positions will immediately deflect and put the responsibility on their employees rather than just taking full accountability, including themselves as well, how uh, really it should be a, we have a problem. This is, this is definitely cultural. This is definitely systemic. Um, and including themselves in that responsibility of, you know what, we all need to go through uh, not only just a training, but an everyday application of accountability when it comes to cultural and social issues, especially pertaining to race. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, you have an extensive history with a lot of the groups in the city that had comments about, um, you know, that issue and other issues that have arisen in, you know, the, in the recent past. Mm -hmm. You know, what... You know, we're, I think at this point, we're, we're used to seeing the statements that come out after the fact that these deals ha happen, right? But mm -hmm. substantively, for companies that are long, you know, have a, a goal of being and operating in Austin long term mm -hmm. and realizing with social media and also just community memory runs long and deep, um, how can, you know, what are meaningful ways that companies, you know, can repair or at least be, get that journey to repair meaningfully with, with communities that they may well have offended? Um, and, and, you know, unintentionally as it may be. Yeah. Well, I think a starting point for like anything else, it really does come down to education, right? And so not only exposing yourself to as much information as possible, uh, where you build that uh, cultural competency, but where you also um, are creating opportunities uh, for people of color so that the equity issues that we're seeing pertaining to race, we're slowly but surely actually addressing them um, in a very active and uh, viable way, rather than just talking about the issues and being more conscious of the issues, which is absolutely necessary. Like I said, that's the first step, but we the second step is actually putting that into action and creating uh, viable opportunities for people of color so that we are shifting the culture um, and this narrative that, um, where race is still an issue. Mm -hmm. So, you know, moving from that one, we had, I think, a month or two prior uh, was the issue with the quote-unquote quote Tortilla Canyon yeah. uh, map that another um, large development group put out that's close to the airport. Mm -hmm. And that one got, um, you know, in their in their case, that one rose to, on the council dais, some discussion on there in terms of, because they're going through some active development over there mm -hmm. on contracts. And um, what... You know what? You know, similar to to the domain north side, there was an issue about a map, and if you just give detail of that one too, and just yeah. similarly, what you know, it, 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 similarly, what would you see as you know, some appropriate response to that? I think they gave an apology too, yeah. um, on the same lines, but yeah, that's another example of just the lack of, um, the lack of consciousness, the lack of sensitivity when it comes to race, um, and how you know we just kind of see this perpetual racism um, and people thinking that it's normal, that it's okay, because culturally speaking, it has been made normal. It has been made okay um, to think that uh, labeling things and categorizing things um, in derogatory ways uh, is perfectly fine. I mean, you look at our political landscape right now with uh, national leaders uh, being very derogatory. And so uh, there's, you know, there's just this cultural acceptance where that's the norm and it shouldn't be and so that's what we have to help shift and so with that the tortilla factory you know they uh basically label this uh region that has been historically predominantly hispanic as uh and they choose their own you know um term for that region as the tortilla 
oh, is it the Tortilla? I want to say the Tortilla Factory. I Tortilla Canyon. Tortilla Canyon, there we go. Um, and so, of course, uh, the lack of sensitivity for that, immediately the public had an outcry, especially uh, for people that have lived in, you know, in that region in that neighborhood uh, for generations, you know, especially being Hispanic, um, and have dealt with a lot of discrimination and racism. And, um, you know, historically speaking, I mean, that area was purposely segregated to be, you know, Hispanic. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so luckily, there were uh, elected officials, uh, like representative, state representative, um, Eddie Rodriguez, who was very vocal on social media, um, and in the press uh, about this issue, among other groups. And, but it really does help when you do not only have the community at large being vocal about this, but when you have actual uh, elected leaders being vocal about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, of course, the outcry, the backlash from the community um, instigated an immediate apology. Um, and... But unlike other apologies, formal apologies that we've seen, like the Domain and Starbucks, where they vow to do this, you know, intensive diversity inclusion training, um, this is probably one where you don't see that, you know, that vow that mm-hmm. they want to um, educate themselves um, into being more uh, conscious and sensitive uh, to the raci- the racism that is being perpetuated, um, and so. In my opinion, I think, I think the right way to approach this, other than just a formal apology and, and in addition to um, making some sort of promise where you're going to educate yourself and hold yourself accountable to being more uh, culturally uh, conscious and sensitive to these things, but again, uh, applying an action that you're also going to promise to on a daily basis where you are going to incorporate um, more diversity and inclusion in everything that you do um, and that you are creating opportunities for people of color to be at the table, not just uh, out of you know their own time by volunteering their time just for the sake of you know being visibly included at the table, but actually give these people jobs and opportunities uh, where they're valued enough to be part of um, the conversation and the system and the business of, of and development of the community, um, because it's not enough to just say that you're gonna put more white people into training and to be more conscious, uh, or you have your token black person or you know token um, Latino or token Asian person to show that you have some sense of diversity. Um, we actually need to be fully investing in people of color and addressing the equity issues where they actually are part of. Um, the way that you know we develop our communities fully and um, and addressing the equity issues that exist. Yeah, well, you know, slight deviation, but related to that, your last point. I know you're part of the mayor's uh, task force for institutional racism in the city. You're the actual mayor's appointees, yeah. correct? Mm-hmm. Can you just you know that that work's been ongoing. Um, I know you had a report, an initial report that came out about a year ago more or less yeah right almost two years ago almost two now. years ago yeah, fair enough actually. what what's been going on since then along those lines i mean in light of these issues later tolerant right because i think it's not just focused on city structure city bodies right that this is happening to but it's also in the greater community it reflects that and yeah. what just what what are y'all doing what's what's the work y'all are doing right now yeah so a little bit more about that task force so 
the premise of it is to address institutional racism and systemic inequities. And uh, there's various um, subgroups that were formed um, under that large umbrella uh, where some people are focused on the criminal justice system, uh, some people are focused on education, some people on healthcare, another one uh, is real estate and housing, and actually I'm in the real estate and housing subgroup um, with my focus on trying to address affordable housing and displacement um, and I've also been working on that same um, issue through the Human Rights Commission that I serve on. But it's interesting because uh, there's a great group of people that have been appointed to this task force, a wide variety from um, community stakeholders, uh, you know, business leaders, um, local uh, community activists and organizers and so forth. And so you have a wide variety you know, as far as diversity is concerned, people representing the community and trying to address these issues. Um, in my subgroup, though, it's even more interesting because I'm one of the very few people of color in that subgroup, um, and also one of the very few people who is at under the age of 40. Um, so the diversity in that group alone um, is very telling as far as um, leaders that are in the real estate and housing mm -hmm. industry. Um, and so uh, trying to represent people of color and represent the needs of people that are being easily displaced in Austin um, gets drowned out a little bit, especially when um, people are more concerned about uh, revitalization and um, you know, and I, and I and I get it. I mean, revitalization is absolutely valuable in our community, but I think we just need to consciously think about how do we revitalize our communities, but still make sure that everybody that it's accessible to everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, tied to tied to sort of revitalization in real estate. I mean, it's and layering back to just kind of racial racial discourse in the city. Three of the most active council districts um, are on the east side. Remote, a lot of are active in terms of real estate and residential and commercial is on the east side. Yeah. And sort of the thing east of east of um, for you know for those from Austin outside of Austin, I think I really look at, at everything south of Mainer Road, mm -hmm. um, all the way down through Riverside or to Riverside Drive, and then going all the way out east, um, Colony Park, the newer development that's going on. Um, I forgot the name of it, but it's uh, kind of around Dump Springs, like what, east of that. Yeah. Um, but a lot of major developments going on out there. I think for any company, beyond just tr doing the right thing, having good policies in place, yeah. you have to realize too, um, the t just the the political implications are greater, um, and things you need to really go in eyes wide open with when um, when um, working those parts of parts of the city yeah. politically. Yeah, and you know, as far as um learning the importance of the political implications i think learning in you know connection to that learning the history the importance of the history so you know knowing that segregation back in you know 1928 the 1928 plan that forced you know the black community and the hispanic community east of i-35 um, and then you fast forward to i think it was um city council in the 90s and i can't remember which under under which plan was it um Imagine Austin, or mm -hmm. or what about it? Um, that it basically um, encouraged developers to develop on the east side, right, and and kind of uh, pointed them in that direction as far as 
uh, cheap land that could be developed and and basically dissuaded them from um, West Austin, and especially Central Austin. Um, and so with that development being concentrated on the east side, I mean, that's where you're seeing the negative effects of gentrification because it's easily displacing uh, people that have historically already been segregated um, and already, um, you know, oppressed to a sense of, as far as equity is concerned, you know, they don't really have the means or resources um, to, to stay in those neighborhoods, um, especially with the increase of property taxes with new development and it's it's just become this really vicious cycle where a certain region is being targeted and marketed as the development area but without consideration for the people that um, have been there for generations um, and the resources that are available to them so that they can stay there um, and and of course you know these developments don't really take into consideration is it going to ben- is it going to benefit them because um, clearly with all the displacement, you know, it's not benefiting them. So mm-hmm. I think if there's a way that we can do development, especially revitalization and um, making things more accessible to uh, the people that have been there um, for generations um, and making sure that, you know, it's accessible and affordable, then then the better. But I know it's it's basically an ideal that people are still trying to figure out how to even incorporate that because the way the real estate market is, it's really about profit. Mm-hmm. It's not really about investment in a community yeah. making things more affordable or accessible to them. Yeah, I think, you know, two points. One, on affordability, it's yeah, that's that's a revolving discussion at council, I think, broadly on what is what is quote unquote affordable. Right. right? And yeah. getting that hammered down. I mean, like some of this it's you know, and I, obviously I, my firm represents, we represent developers and mm-hmm. private sector companies. And yeah. some of it from a business side, even if a company wants to do, you know, quote unquote, the right thing, or at least have as a culture that they're still in business. And yeah. I think some of these issues, you know, relating back to the 1928 master plan, it's, you know, some of these things are kind of reverberations from what you know, policies, you know, public policies that were put in place, right. right? That have nothing to do with the company now, but even though they're, and they're aware of it, you know, it's still the kind of political realities. And when, when you own a piece of private property, it's, you know, it's, you really, you know, the city can't, or this typically doesn't have a choice, you know, unless you're doing a zoning there, a variance, something like that, and what you can make someone do. Right. Now, the caveat is, whereas the city can, um, you know, with Mueller, with um, potentially the McKenna Place, where the MLS stadium may go up, mm-hmm. um, though, you know, they, where they own the property, I think they've, they've, now taking steps to you know try to leverage some affordable units and so on. I mean, to the degree that overall helps the you know the city. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's a start, right? Right. But I think it's also it is it is a balance of realizing the private sector is the private sector, and there are companies I think or that I know of that you know have a they want to do well, but they also if, but they're in business, yeah, right. And I think there's that you know. A lot of this rises to you know beyond one company. It almost it's a, it's a there you know there are major associations that are linked to this or that can lead those discussions with the city. But that's kind of a, not to skirt it right. But that is a big deal to put on any one company. Exactly, you know? which is I think what the objective of the mayor's task force is trying to group as many people in the community, especially business leaders, to come together and figure out oh what it how is it that we can collectively address this? Because uh, there isn't just 
one issue, you know, or one solution to this very large, complex issue that has a lot of intersecting issues. Um, and obviously, there's just so much, uh, legally speaking, that uh, the city itself is limited by. Um, and so it's it really is going to take a collective effort of trying to apply some sort of solutions to at least alleviate some of the burden. And so some of the recommendations right now, well, the recommendations that we drafted with our group alone, I think it was close to 100. And some of them have been have been moved forward by the city um, that were the most feasible. Uh, some of them moved on to uh, different commissions and task forces where they're kind of hashing it out and trying to figure out, well, how can the city actually implement this? Um, in fact, another task force was just created called the Anti-Displacement Task Force, and they're supposed to be drafting their final uh, recommendation uh, that will not only highlight recommendations that our task force came up with, but also recommendations that have been proposed since 20 years ago, mm -hmm. but have never been implemented. Mm -hmm. um, in total, there have been over easily there, oh gosh, actually the number's bigger than that. But there have been easily over a thousand recommendations uh, made pertaining to affordable housing and uh, gentrification and displacement uh, from the past 20 years. Um, I think a total of only six of them were passed by council and implemented. In those 20 years? In the 20 years, yeah. Um, and so that just goes to show you that there's no shortage of ideas and people being active and wanting to address this issue. It's just a matter of actually implementing it and enforcing it. Mm. So, um, like political will, political yeah. will for sure. So ultimately, right? These are all these plans. You know, they're 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 created by a citizen committee or commission. Yeah. And but council ultimately has to adopt those plans in some form and then push those through. And then even when council does pass them and pushes them through, it's a matter of uh, resources at that point too. Mm -hmm. uh, whether there is enough um, city staff to help um, make sure that it's fully implemented in a force and tracking it. And there's no tracking system, by the way, which is a huge problem to make sure that something's implemented properly. Mm -hmm. right? and Wait, I mean, so once it's passed, so say the full report, your 100 recommendations were passed and implemented, or at least on paper, they were stamped for approval to be implemented and executed. Yeah. There's nothing, there's no... Like staff. I mean, I guess it's a staff bandwidth pro issue to yeah. how are we making sure these things, like a dashboard, um, mm -hmm. make sure these things are going through. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And making, it just goes to ether or what happens? And, and, and making sure that there's the manpower, right, to make sure that they mm -hmm. are implemented. Um, I mean, does it come down to having some vigilance? I mean, I think a lot of things, like vigilant citizens who say, hey, look, we've, we, you know, we heard this past and we know, we know this past, you know, in February 2016 and it's now this, we haven't seen, we haven't heard anything. Yeah. Right, because keep in mind too, yeah. and I've, I've, th I've said this in prior shows, but the council they hear everything, right? And yeah. so when you're on the dais, I think I think some people you know, having you know been a council watcher for a number of years now, you get the you have to, you have to keep in mind they're human beings, right? And that they have they hear it from the from a in your well, in your mind it'd be a minor zoning case, the person before them, it might be the, the thing they've been working on for five years yeah. to major policy, you know, the like bond passage and so on. Mm -hmm. And I think it on their end, you know, unless it happens to be their their personal passion project, it's tough to even with that even with one regulate one 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 study versus a hundred to keep that in your head yeah. amongst everything else in your district and then, you know, broadly in the city and then, you know, some state and federal 
think your know, issues are might pop up, right? Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Not that it's an excuse, but it's just it's it's more the reality of it's the reality our of capacity. system or capacity, yeah. yeah. And then money too, right? Staff, mm-hmm. extra staff for that is staff time for that is staff time away from monitoring roads, monitoring um you know whatever the things need to be fixed exactly yeah exactly so yeah if we're not if we're not really looking at the the full picture of logistics as far as what kind of resources it's going to take to fully implement those things and make sure that they're actually implemented then um, it's great on paper and it's great in theory but applying it is a completely different thing and i think what we need to improve on and really focus on is the application process all the logistics that go into the actual application of it mm-hmm. and all the the manpower that needs to support you know uh, that implementation process okay so um so anyway so as far as uh my work on the task force right now we're just narrowing down which recommendations uh, we think are the most feasible and impactful, um, but most importantly, feasible as far as logistics are concerned, mm-hmm. um, and just trying to push those forward. Um, but that is one of the things that I definitely emphasize is, you know, if we're not making sure that these recommendations are supported with the right resources and manpower, then it's just going to go into another silo, you know, into another ether. Yeah. You know. In the 20 years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's... um. And that, you know, that I've seen that, I've heard those, the argument being raised for a lot of different things that pop up in the city that are older than 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let's take a quick break. We'll come right back. So I want to come back and just discuss your background with diversity engagement. Okay. So diversity engagement really started for me, um, honestly, back in college, um, Actually, I was just working on a project and I had learned that there was going to be this huge demonstration um, for the women that were being um, that were being kidnapped and slaughtered uh, across the border in Juarez, Mexico. And all of the families um, that had been affected and lost loved ones um, were going to be marching uh, from El Paso across the border into Juarez demanding not only awareness of the issue, because uh, at that point hundreds of women had disappeared, um, but demanding that the government uh, do something about it. Um, and so, so then I went, I, I went ahead and jumped on board and participated in the demonstration and uh, met a lot of different people um, that either were directly affected or also just there as support. Um, and then that was just the beginning point for me to be engaged in the community and uh, be exposed to uh, various groups that were active in the community on a variety of issues. And so by the time I moved to Austin, I, uh, being new, of course, I did my homework first and studied the landscape, you know, the political and social landscape of Austin, uh, going to as many community meetings um, as possible, uh, you know, as well as, you know, official um, government meetings as well. But the thing that was more important to me was going out in the community to where people were at um, and seeing who was active and what issues uh, resonated with them. Um, And of course, vice versa, what issues at the end of the day resonated with me. And then um, building relationships with people that I felt were the most active on those issues that I was uh, interested in. And so the more that I exposed myself to, uh, the more relationships I built 
And then um, I would collaborate with people on whatever projects they were already doing and whatever initiatives they were already working on. And then slowly but surely, I started my own projects, um, more so focused on um, educational uh, workshops and, and public forums, basically breaking down uh, social issues and various ways that people can civically engage in their own communities and make a difference in their own communities. Um, and and then, you know, it just it was just this passion, you know, where uh, I loved to engage uh, in the community and organize the community. And um, and so it was just something that I just ran with and developed and cultivated um, as the years went on. Um, and then the reputation to eventually uh, actually be paid for that work where it wasn't always just, good. <laughs> yeah, where, where it wasn't just, you know, where I wasn't just doing it on my own time. Um, I was actually able to uh, start, um, actually, yeah, be valued for the work that I was doing and the relationships that I had built in the community. What was your, um, I know you you'd spent some time with the Travis County Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. What was your, your work there? So my work there, um, they took me on board while they were doing a coordinated campaign, a, a state campaign during the gubernatorial election in 2014. And... Um, they originally, well, like any other campaign, they, they, they just want to focus on the typical model of the universe of voters that they know for sure are going to go out to vote and making sure that they go out and vote and go to the polls. Um, but I didn't want to do the usual model, um, especially since I knew the reality that uh, if we're going to change our cultural and political and social, you know, scheme um, as far as people that are engaged and that um, have a voice um, and are valued, you know, for their voice, um, then we need to, you know, go outside of the box, outside of the usual model and do outreach in diverse communities, especially those that are the most vulnerable so that they, so that their voices are amplified and empowered. Um, so luckily the executive director at the time, he supported me Um going outside of the usual model um and what, what was the usual model well the usual model like i said is just targeting the voter universe that okay. they know for sure consistently goes out to vote yeah you know um which is largely anglo largely anglo largely older mm-hmm. demographic um so talk about a, an obvious um you know area where people of color are excluded mm-hmm. um and I just didn't want to do that usual model. Yeah. And so, so um, luckily the executive director supported me and gave me free reigns to uh, create a diversity outreach program. And so I did what I normally do best, which is I personally go out in the community and um, you know engage with a variety of community groups. And in this case, obviously groups that were not uh, really associated or affiliated with the Democratic Party. So my approach um, with this program was to strictly be issue oriented and try to be as nonpartisan as possible and just really just focus on the issues that um, affected the community at large and also whatever resonated with particular you know, community groups and yeah. just engaging them on that front. And so, so with that approach, um, I was able to get a lot of people 
you know, together at the same table that have never been in the, at the same table before, much less with the Democratic Party, uh, talking about these issues and how to address them and how to organize around them and uh, collaborate. Um, and also, we broke records of voter turnout that year. So um, not going to take full credit for that, but I think as far as really trying to enforce a new model and also enforce, you know, and expands our outreach um, and not just confining it to the typical voters that go out and vote, um, I think really pushed the, you know, the bar a little bit further up. Very um, good. So, so yeah, so I really wanted to continue that work, um, but then I was snagged <laughs> by an elected official yeah. uh, to go work at the county. And, um, and she emphasized that, you know, the reason why she wanted me to go work with her at the county is because, you know, of my passion and level of engagement in the community and wanting her office to uh, be exceptionally uh, engaged in the community. So I went ahead and went ahead and went to the county with her and um and we were extremely engaged, you know. We're not. Only, I was not only organizing community meetings for her um, that were, you know, relevant to her precinct, but also outside of her precinct, and um, you know, from community meetings to public forums to even rallies, you mm-hmm. know. And so I've seen some of the YouTube clips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. Almost stay on your side. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So, um, so that's definitely a talent of mine that was utilized in that office as far as community organizing. Yeah, we um, have already ordered you your own uh, bullhorn too yeah. <laughs> bullhorn for special occasions. So, but Christian, thank you for the time, your time, and we look forward to working with you um, as part of the team. And stay tuned for more um, from Christian. All right, thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. You can find this and other recordings at www.binghamgp.com backslash podcast. Thank you.